0: I have about 12 slots, so if you could text the word DISCOVER to 307-224-4404, or you could say something when you leave, but if you do that, I need you to write something down, because I have the brain of a goldfish, and it will not I will not keep it. What happens is every Sunday I go home, and I have all this great stuff on my mind, and I take a nap. And somehow my brain erases over that nap period. So it's wonderful. I wish I could do that about a lot of things. So anyway, another thing I did want to mention is we are having Patrick Klein in next Sunday discussing the ministry of Vision Beyond Borders. He has sent us some prayer calendars. They're back there on the table to the right that has the signs on it. And that those prayer calendars are for the persecuted church as we are connected with them from Wyoming. So if you'd like to grab one of those, just grab one when you go and it'd be a great tool to help remember to pray for Christians around the world, okay? So are you here? We're doing well, we're doing well. I mean, it's not always that you're here, and so what I wanted to do today is uh, I wanted to kick off the year in a a healthy way, a spiritual way, a powerful way, uh, and in a realistic way. I think a lot of times when we get to the new year, and I think as you get older, you get a bit more cynical about it, but as you get to the new year, you're like, ah, fresh start. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some stuff better over the next year, and, and that's a healthy thought process, but if you're like I used to be, then what you may do is rather than being realistic about what you can actually accomplish in a year, you, you decide to accomplish way too much in a year. You're like, I'm going to fix everything this month. And uh, so that doesn't always work out well. So my concern, though, I mean, I obviously most of us could be skinnier. Some of us could be healthier. Some of us need to work on our relationships, our finances, all those kind of things. That's not my primary concern. My primary concern is that your faith be able to stand no matter what the next year brings. That's my primary concern. That's my concern for ordinary faith. That's my concern for the church in this day and age. I think we need to strengthen our faith so that we, it doesn't hinge on almost entirely on what happens to us. What we need is we need a healthy and an undying faith, but we also have to be really honest about the world we live in. An unflinching look at reality is how it's been called. And so, my job today, I'm not going to look at the unflinching look at reality so much. I'm going to mention a few things that we tend to put our hope in that almost never work out for us. But what I want for you, what I want for me, is I want us to have a strong faith in the one and only true God that we have access through through the only way, truth in life, which is Jesus Christ. That's faith, okay? You can have faith in anything, I suppose, but the faith I'm talking about is a real faith and a solid foundation. And that's Jesus Christ who takes us to the Father. So our faith is in God. As Christians, as Christ follows, our faith is in God. It's not in our circumstances. God created everything. God radically, just, His love for us is crazy. He's pursued us throughout the timeline of history. He's restored relationship time and time again. Even when he was his most angry at the horrible things that mankind had done, he still had mercy. He still provided ways of deliverance and hope. And then ultimately he sent his son who came and was the word of God and taught us what God had to say and who God the Father was. And that son was crucified, condemned, crucified, buried, and rose again, and then that sun ascended on high, and God sent his Holy Spirit to inhabit his people. That's the God we love. That's the God we believe in. That's the God we have faith in, and that God has promised to be with us, to take care of us, and to come and get us one day. That's the God we worship. Do you understand that? I hope I made that real clear, okay? The world that you live in is filled with evil. There will never be a human government that is righteous or right before God. Never has been, never will be. And the And pro- Why that can never be is because all human governments have humans in them. And we're the problem. We mess up everything. We, you know, a lot of Christians look at Israel and we kind of put them on a pedestal because God used them as a trumpet to declare His grace and to give us these amazing gifts. But the nation of Israel has generally been evil and is evil to this day. It's just an earthly government up to this point. And they reject Jesus Christ and they don't like Christians they think we are apostate because we follow Jesus. So they're also the ones who turned Jesus over to Rome and falsely condemned him uh, to death. Rome was evil at the time that Jesus was crucified. Rome crucified Jesus. Rome killed almost all the apostles, not all, but most of them. It was an evil government. What's my point? Your hope cannot be in the governments of this earth. Your hope can't be... In a political leader, that is what leads us into the narrative of Revelation, the book in the Bible, is people's faith that a human leader can save them, in essence. And so, we have to take a reality of that, we have to be real about that, we also need to be real about what it has cost people to follow God throughout all of history, not just since Jesus but throughout all of history. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their home, or hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips and others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with a sword. Some were, went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world. That's our heritage. We cannot lose our heritage. If you want to walk into a new year and have some courage and have some strength, you cannot put your your faith in what's happening around you. You cannot put your faith in your circumstances. The troubles you have, the sufferings you endure, things going right or wrong, say nothing about God's love for you or God's care for you. Or even God's provision for you. All of these things, we take as statements. And you hear people say it all the time. Well, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't know about me. God, if God were really God, he'd stop all this bad stuff from happening. If Yeah, he would walk into your life and stop you from doing stupid stuff too. And you wouldn't like that. So, if we're going to walk into a future with less fear you got to put your faith in the right thing, and it's not in what's happening to you. It's in what's happening in you. You see, everything that happens to you causes something to happen within you. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want us to move to a place where we stop looking at our circumstances as a judgment of God's concern, and we start trusting God no matter what happens. And that's a tall order. Last night, I finally got around to watching the first couple episodes of the chosen and it 's funny because I talked about this a few weeks ago, not from the the episodes that I saw, but I was just reading in the Bible, and I was impressed by what Jesus asked the disciples to do so in the second episode of season three of the uh, of the chosen here 's Jesus sitting here among the twelve he 's chosen them he 's gone to the Father, picked these guys, and he, and he sends them out, and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do, guys. Uh, first of all, I'm giving you my authority. You can heal the sick, cast out demons. And, and I loved how they handled the film, because they're all sitting there slack-jawed, like, what? We don't know anything. <laughs> and he says, and by the way, I don't want you to take any money. I don't even want you to take a change of clothes. I, don't want you to, I just want you to go and, to, and learn how to trust God, in essence. And I'm sitting there watching this thing, and I'm like, that's crazy. I I mean, I'm sorry. I love you, Steve, but if you said, hey, I want you to go out for Jesus and just take nothing and and just trust, I'd be like, you first. (laughs) It's just crazy. But here's the thing. That whole thing that Jesus invited them to do was just learning to trust that God provides. The hard thing I've learned about trusting God to provide is that God provides in the way that is best, not in the way that I prefer, which is really annoying. I like to have things up front. God likes to provide a few minutes too late. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. I haven't even got to the message yet, but don't worry. I'll have you out here before next year. Uh, and so... Um, This is about learning to trust God, to to do what God says, learning to trust God, to love, to love people, to love our our spouses, and to love God. And what you need to know is that while we're going through this message, you'll make a decision. In fact, you'll make this decision several times a day, every day of your life. And that decision is, am I going to trust Jesus and live in the confidence and joy that brings or am I going to trust me and live in the fear and insecurity that that brings? That's a choice we make all the time. You call yourself saved, call yourself Christian, call yourself nothing. It's a choice you make all the time. Am I going to rely on me? And, and by, in effect, by extension, make myself my own God? Or am I going to have a God and rely upon that God? Specifically, Jesus Christ, the Son, who takes us to the Father. So that's what today's about, learning how to trust God even though our circumstances don't match up. So we're going to look at Hebrews 13 and, (coughs) excuse me, uh, we're looking at about six verses here. We're just going to take a couple verses at a time. Hebrews uh, Hebrews 13, verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. So we see that you love those who are close, the brothers and sisters. That's not necessarily Biological brothers and sisters, that's people that are your family by faith, by relationship, by community, not necessarily by blood. Okay? So keep on loving each other. Well, that makes sense. It's, that's something we want to do, even if it's hard. And we just, got all, we just went through Christmas and New Year's. And we know how hard it is to love people that are close to us now for sure, right? So keep on loving each other. Verse 2. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Strange people, weirdos. This is all Michael's translation. That is not in the Greek. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing. it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. So here are some things to do this year to make 2023 fearless. And you begin by loving your neighbor. Love your neighbor. We've heard that before, right? I think Jesus might have said that on a few occasions, right? And he starts out, the writer of Hebrews takes us into the family, the brothers or sisters, the ones that are close to us. And I believe, and I've, oh, I believe this for years, that faith is thicker than blood. I grew up hearing blood's thicker than water, but I think faith is thicker than blood, and here's why. I think that your faith family is your eternal family. I think that the people that are your brothers and sisters by, by following Christ, by Christ's lordship of their life, they're your family for all eternity, okay? Now, you can soak on what that means or think about it a bit, but I'm not really digging into that. I'm just saying, hey, we need to learn to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we are not just related to each other because we have something in common. This isn't about going to church together. This isn't about having even a common belief system. This is about Jesus. We're related to each other, connected to each other. We are brothers and sisters because of Jesus the person as Lord and inhabitor of our lives. The Bible says in John 1:12, all who believed in him and accepted him were given the right to become the children of God. Our heart toward brothers and sisters in Christ has to be filled with love. We need to pursue and care for each other. Here's how Paul wrote it in Galatians. He said, whenever you have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. We should do good to everyone, like Superman, do good, all right? To everyone. But especially those of the family of faith. So, In Paul's mind, it was important that we took care of each other, that we loved each other, that we understood that we're family, not by common purpose, not by interest, but by the lordship of Jesus Christ. What does that look like? I believe what we must learn to do as Christians is we must learn to relate to each other by faith. What does that mean? What am I trying to say? Have you ever noticed how easy it is to just... I hate to say waste a relationship, but have have you ever noticed how much of our relationships are really just chit-chat? You ever thought about that? I find it exhausting, and I think it's just because I'm old and fat. But, I mean, the older I get, I'm like, oh, come on, say something that matters. Let's talk about something that matters. You know? Let's talk about you. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about our growth. Let's talk about the things we've heard and so, I think that's, when it comes to loving each other, it's about being real, it's about authenticity, about being who you really are, it's about transparent, it's about actually having conversations that don't just, that, that, that reveal the truth about you, but under the umbrella of the, the grace and the goodness of Jesus. Does that make sense? So, I think it takes work. I think it takes work to love each other because I think it's really hard to share the truth that's inside of us with someone else, that takes trust. I'm not saying you should do it with everyone. I know people who share everything with everyone, and those people kind of scare me. If you were awake, you might have laughed. You might have at that. But it's the first day of the year. Who's awake the first day of the year? And so what I'm trying to say is, to, to learn to love each other, we have to move from fake relationship to real relationship. True. From discussions about the weather, from empty platitudes to actual, honest, here's the truth about me. Help me understand the truth about you. Let's put all that under the blood and the care and the goodness of Jesus and let's be real. Yes. I love real. I I grew up in fake. Not that it was intended. Everyone was trying to serve Jesus but there was just this culture where we wore a certain set of clothes and we used a certain vocabulary and we never let our cracks show. I'm going to tell you, I'm a cracked up dude. <laughs> a cracked pot, to use the Bible's analogy. And so I want to be honest about those. And so I think that's important to love each other. Jesus talked about it a lot and so did the disciples. I think it's also important to love the weirdos. Any weirdos in the house? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. So the funny thing about this text is it references angels. It talks about people being kind to strangers and then having taken care of angels not knowing about it at the time. And so I got to thinking about that and some of the Bible stories. You know, Abram provided dinner for some angels. Lot, Hosted those very same angels in his house. Joshua discussed battle plans with an angel. The Christmas story is loaded with angels. Now, now I know there's a, there's a lot been done with angels in popular media and movies, okay? But the word angel really just means messenger. They're like heaven's male, per, male men, male persons, male, whatever they are. The Bible says there's no gender in heaven, there's just, there's just what there is. So I, let's not discuss that anymore. It's a weird time. But I, um, I was reminded about two, three years ago now during our church, annual Church River baptism. And it was a great day. It's, always, it's one of my favorite days of the year when we get to help people start their journey through baptism and celebrate that. And there was the weirdo that showed up that day. And it wasn't just Steve. It was another one. <laughs> and it wasn't Leonard either. It was another one. But um, his name was Melvin. Kind of became a friend of mine. Melvin is one of those guys that the church at large does not know what to do with. He's a weirdo. And you're like, what do you mean, Michael? That's rude. No, I don't mean it rude. What, what happened was Melvin had, had a, a history of life. He had experienced addiction, homelessness, success, failure, all these kind of things, divorce, lost all, just lost everything. And Jesus' redemption story in Melvin's life was a radical one. Every now and then I encounter someone that has this absolutely ridiculous redemption story, and almost without fail, when I hear those, one of those stories, that person is called to do something that's just as ridiculous as the meeting that they had. So, I mean, everyone says, yeah, I'd love to have a face-to-face with Jesus. That would be cool, but just know that he's probably going to up your ante more than you realize if you get one of those, all right? So Melvin had one of those, and God called Melvin to minister to the addicted and the homeless from within those communities. So he traveled the country in a broken-down van that broke down in every, I think that's how he knew where to go. Wherever the van broke down, that's where God wanted him, I think. And he lived among the addicted and the homeless and ministered to them. And uh, he was a weirdo. And the church and the world need... We need more nuts. Maybe we should rename the church from Ordinary Faith to Mixed Nuts. That's <laughs> Ordinary Mixed Nuts. I don't know. Why? I love that community. I go and pray for homeless people and, and those are in addiction every chance I get, but I don't get many chances. I'm just too normal nowadays. I wasn't always this normal, but I'm, I'm just too ordinary. But Melvin lives that life. And I think he's one of the angels of the kingdom. And I believe, based on Hebrews and several other texts, that the church's job is not to barrier those people off. Well, they're the weirdos. We don't know what to do with them, but to love them and help them when we can. So I think we should love the weirdos. I think that's what the text. Are you okay with loving weirdos? Some of you are related to some weirdos, so you've got experience. So that's good. So love the weirdos. I think the church is called to support those kind of people. The third thing he talks about is the suffering. This is another one I struggle with. By the way, every message, if you're new here, every message I share, I share out of my struggle. share out of my questions, not out of my answers. So you need to know that. I'm being honest here, okay? And this is one of those I struggle with because here the text takes us into loving people that are suffering. They're in prison. They're being oppressed. It tells us to to pray with them and love them like it was us. It's a very specific wording that the writer of Hebrews uses. He's telling us, I want you to experience and share in their imprisonment. Share in their suffering. There's, there's a lot, and he talks about prisoners. And, and there's a lot of ways to be a prisoner, isn't, aren't there? I mean, your health could make you a prisoner. I know a lot of people who can't leave their homes, and many who haven't been able to the last few years. Uh, your, your, your mental health can make you a prisoner. And some people, it makes a prisoner in their very own home, but sometimes we're prisoners in our very own mind. We are able to function uh we're a functional prisoner we go out in the world we work our jobs we meet people but on the inside of our heads we feel trapped and we can't get loose and our echo chambers are so loud we can't hear anything good or positive and and we're suffering and so our job as christians one of the things we're called to do is to love those people so that's what i'm calling us to do this year 2023 love your neighbor Love, love people of faith around you. Find those people and encourage each other. Love the weirdos, the one who's called, who has a different ministry calling, a different purpose in life than you. It's okay if they're not like you. If everyone's like you, the world would be really boring, and we don't want that. And so love those weirdos. And, and then what about the ones who are suffering? What about Jesus' words in his own sermon? I was hungry, or not a sermon, but... And many times he taught, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. All of those things Jesus said that people served him by doing it for the less fortunate here. So, 2023, don't be afraid to love your neighbor. Your spiritual neighbor, your faithful neighbor, your weird neighbor, and your suffering neighbor now this next part I might get into trouble for you'll be okay I don't know if I will but we'll find out how this goes all right the next thing the writer of Hebrews tells us to do he told us to love each other but then he tells us in Hebrews thirteen four, give honor to your marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery fun verse right there we love that one today right So, don't just love your neighbor. How about this one? Here's a new idea. Love your spouse. You say, oh, Michael, I love my spouse. In church, you do. (laughs) Here's a command to honor your marriage. What does that mean? Well, I have a soapbox, a pet peeve, an annoyance, whatever you want to call it. I hate lousy marriage. I, I hate divorce, too. But I hate lousy marriage as well. And here's why. I think it's an insult to Jesus and the Father to to make a covenant before God, however you did it. I don't know how you celebrated the establishment of your marriage, but before God, you made a covenant to love somebody, okay? Okay? And when you stepped into that covenant, you made a covenant to say, we're going to build a life. We're going to love for each other. We're going to stick around for each other. We're going to learn about each other. Things happen. You may have gone through a divorce. That's not what this part of the message is about. This part of the message is about how to actually honor your marriage and love your spouse in a new year. And I'll be honest with you, this next part might sting a little, but know that it's out of love and personal failures. Not because I'm trying to upset you on the very first day of the year. What does it mean to honor your marriage? Well, maybe we'll start with the antithesis. I can think of a lot of things that, that express and, dis- and display what honoring your marriage is, but uh, here's some things that don't honor marriage. Let's see, we, we're gonna be PG 13 for a minute. I think we're okay. Sex with someone who's not your spouse is not honoring a marriage and not honoring your spouse. You may be sitting there going, well, hey, Michael, I'm single. <clears throat> What I said was, sex with someone who's not your spouse is not on your marriage. That means it's probably somebody else's spouse, by the way. I'll throw that out there for free. Say, Michael, it's none of your business. I know it's not. I'm not even meddling. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, and you can agree or disagree that you take that up with God. (laughs) But so keeping things pure and keeping things within a covenant. You see, that's what matters to me. I don't care about... The state, I don't care about a marriage license. I care about a covenant before God. Because here's why. God gave us this amazing gift of intimacy. It only works and it's only truly intimate when it operates in a place of safety, unconditional love, and care. And so... That's what marriage is for. It's a covenant to protect the most vulnerable part of your life. That's what people need to understand and see. It's not just about feeling good, because that leads us to our next thing that doesn't honor marriage. You see, if, if that physical intimacy is just about feeling good, you're not being intimate. You're using someone. Okay? And I don't like that. And so pornography is another thing that does not honor marriage, because it... Through fantasy, uses someone. You know, when I talked about this 15 years ago, it was kind of funny because then it was basically a ma- a male problem, a masculine problem. The study's coming out now that it, gender is no longer a factor in the use and addiction of porno- pornography. The world has changed. It's been highly sexualized. So it doesn't. What I want you to see from a marriage perspective is it doesn't honor a marriage. It objectifies a person. You are God's creation. You are worth the value of God that he has placed on you. You are worth the blood of Jesus, which is far more valuable than objectifying yourself, than likes on a social media platform. And so it's important that you value yourself enough that you realize that intimacy is placed inside covenant and respect. Does that make sense? Did I get that caught? I mean, I know it was awkward and uncomfortable, but I got a few more. Let's be awkward a little bit longer. Abuse isn't honor either. What, is, what do I mean by abuse? Abuse has many forms. When we talk about abuse, particularly inside of a marriage, we typically think of physical abuse. But I've seen abuse in probably every way it can be seen. And there's some folks in this room who see it work in, this, in uh, homes every day and seen it far more extreme than I have. Abuse can be controlling others, manipulating others. Sometimes abuse yells. Some of you grew up in that. Sometimes it ignores. Sometimes it stonewalls. Sometimes it overwhelms. But it always crushes a soul, and it may eventually harm a body. Abuse is not honor. Gossip is not honor. This is one of the sins that I think is the most destructive to the body of Christ in the United States of America is gossip. What do I mean by that? You know, if you're in a problem, a relationship-type problem with someone, and you talk to a friend about your struggles or a counselor or someone like that, that's healthy. That's good. If you talk to everyone about your spouse, that's not healthy and good. That's abuse. That's destroying someone's reputation in life. So, hey, get help from someone, not everyone. Abuse takes many forms. Another one, and uh, you know, I wish I could say this was a man thing, but everything I'm talking about here goes both ways, both genders today. Avoidance is also not honor. I think of, I know avoidance is the number one marriage killer. I know it for a fact. And what I see is a, a pastor personally been married 35 years, uh, done it wrong every way it can be done wrong, I think. And what I see most marriages doing is, is they fight about everything, but never about the real issue. And how I always tell couples that we're counseling is you're fighting about not the problem. You're always fighting about not the problem. So the, avoidance is the issue. And here's what happens. A man, we men have very complex emotions. We're either hungry or angry. <laughs> well, there's a couple more, but we're not at sales in church. And so um, we, we're pretty, we think we're pretty simple. But what we really are... What we really struggle with, men, is respect. And a lot of times what happens in a home as, as a husband or in, in you're in this covenant relationship is you, your wife doesn't understand the language of respect. She doesn't speak it. How would she? She did not grow up in your head. She doesn't know what respect is to you. And so you feel disrespected. And here's what a lot of men do and what I'm very guilty of doing. We feel disrespected and so we do nothing. We never speak up, we just simmer on the inside, we burst out in other ways, we fight about not the problem, and we never just say, this would be so weird if couples actually communicated, we never just say, hey honey, I love you, or whatever your pet name for your wife is, I could imagine if you, hey pookie bear, I don't know, anyway, so, hey honey, I love you that felt disrespectful. Wouldn't that be an honest way to have a conversation? Now, I know a lot of you guys are going, well, I'm not as smart as you, Michael. Sometimes it takes me a few days to figure it out, and I know exactly what you mean. You know what you do if you figure out in a few days, you know what? I felt disrespected three days ago. You go, you talk to your wife like a human being, and you have a conversation, and you say that felt disrespectful. Shazam! We have communication happening, all right? Now, uh, ladies, let me talk to you just for a second. Uh, you kind of avoid things too. Uh, I, I'm scared of women, so I'm going to be very careful here. Um, <laughs> don't worry, I earned this fear. So, <laughs> the? ladies, your, your your language is love, and and many things connected with the emotional aspects of love, and that's awesome. You do need to know, everyone needs to know, there are feminine strengths that love, there are masculine strengths that love. Both are needed in this world. But sometimes, your husband, people in your family, sometimes even your kids, I mean, when you first have children, you think, oh, here's someone who's going to love me unconditionally, and then they become two, and you realize, nah, they're just using me. Uh, So, they just want to eat, silly kid. Anyway, um, when you're hurt... insulted men typically stonewall women typically overwhelm and so wouldn't it be crazy I know this is nuts but wouldn't it be crazy is if when someone did something that hurt you particularly the man that you said before God that you would love when they hurt you or insulted you wouldn't it be cool if you said hey instead of going "Ah," crazy men go crazy too I'm just picking on girls Instead of going crazy, what if you said, hey, that felt unloving. That felt unloving. And we talked about the actual problem. Crazy. Why am I telling you this? Why am I picking on you? Am am I trying to make you mad? No, no, I'm not. Um, What I'd love to see are beautiful, wonderful, healthy, happy, strongly physically intimate marriages That's what I want to see. I could tell you the state of marriage today, it is not pretty, even the ones that stay together. And I'm here to tell you, it is not enough to just stay together. You made a covenant before God to live out Ephesians 5, 21 through 31. That's your job, okay? So I'm telling you, here's a great thing to do next year. Love your spouse. Yeah, we need to love our neighbors. We need to love the folks we go to church with. We need to love the weirdos. We need to love the folks that are suffering. We need to love everyone as much as we can. But you did make a covenant before God to love the person you're stuck with. I mean, uh, you picked. <laughs> you chose. And so love that person this year. Find out. I tell you, uh, if, if you are newly married, you, I, I, no matter where you are in your marriage, work on being married. Work on loving your spouse. Do it. Invest this year. Spend some time. It's the most important relationship in your life. It's the toughest relationship in your life, if you ask me. It's the toughest relationship in your life. And so invest in it. And yet most people never take a marriage course, never read a book on marriage, never go to any kind of workshop on marriage. They just heard that Beatles song written by a guy who was incredibly abusive to everyone around him who said that love is all you need. And we think that's all we need. Love needs skills. Love needs skills. So love your spouse this year. Don't be afraid to love your spouse this year. If you're coming home to eggshells, or if eggshells come home, whichever way it works, something's wrong, find out what's wrong, talk about it, get some help, get some help. No one was born knowing what they were doing. No one gets married knowing exactly what to do. Get some help and love your spouse. Got it? Want me to move on? Just say amen. Good plan. Good plan. I was ready to go anyway. (laughs) Lastly, love and do not fear. This beautiful passage. It's funny how God ties together trusting God and money often. And uh, so let me read the text and then I'll dive into it. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear what mere people can do to me. You see, that's, that's what we're getting down to. So he does mention money. Money is not my favorite topic. I especially don't love telling you, talking to you about your money because it's been a, a struggle in my life. My wife and I married very young. I was 17 and she was 19. I don't recommend it, but God took care of us. All right, That's why I look so young and have nine grandchildren. So uh, that is a lot of grandchildren. But anyway, I got to see four of them this week, and they love Papa, but Papa gets tired fast. So anyway. Um, so when we got married, our, our first son came along shortly thereafter, our second one shortly after that. So money was hard. We didn't have a lot of it. It was one of those things we fought for and just to get by. You know, we were in survival mode for a long time. There were some things that helped free us up. When I, when I learned the concept of giving in my mid-20s, it, it, I, I can't even describe how powerful it was. Um, I'll tell you, this wasn't planned, but here it comes. Um, when I started giving, because before that, all we, we were just barely getting by, and I was challenged to trust God first. So that's what I did. We started tithing is what they called it. And a tithe, is an old Hebrew word, means 10%. And so we didn't make enough money to get to the end of the month. Uh, we didn't, at the time, we didn't really make enough money to cover our bills and, and, at all. And so here's God saying, Here, give. And I'm like, I'm just, I was just trying to follow Jesus. That's all. So we did. We just, by faith, started giving 10%. That, I mean, that's a big ass nowadays, but then we just 10% of our income. It was hilarious what happened over the next year, because over the next year, we went from behind on all our bills and deeply in debt to debt free and making it just fine. And I have no idea how it happened. I really couldn't tell you. You say, Michael, you should have kept records. I tried. Money was going out just as fast as it always was, but somehow God blessed. And here's what I think changed everything. And I, I'll be honest with you, I just learned this not too long ago. Pastor Steve and I were having a coffee one day, and he quoted someone, and I had never thought of it this, in these terms. But the quote he shared, and I can't remember who said it, but he, he said that you can never give away your God. You can never give away your God. And I think that's why God talks about money so much. I think the reason we struggle being charitable and giving, especially today, charitable giving is at the lowest it's been in the history of America. And we are wealthier than we've ever been. Well, a few years ago, we were wealthier than we've ever been. Things have changed a little bit. What's the deal? You can't give away your God. If you can't give, it's probably because your God has a picture on it. And so... When God set me free and taught me about giving, it set our lives free in our lives. And so I'm not, I'm sharing that with you. I want to share that with you because I want you to know that was really hard for me. And, And how I counsel people today, by the way, when it comes to giving is I say, listen, man, I realize I know what it was like to jump off the deep end of the pool, but start somewhere. Start somewhere. And uh, I'd love to tell you uh, but, well, how God has blessed us and what we're able to do today, but I don't want that to come off wrong, so I'm not going to tell you that. But the thing about money is it represents so many things. It represents security to us. We think if we have enough money, we'll be okay. That's what we think. Um, I've had the privilege of knowing a lot of very wealthy people in my life. And I'm here to tell you that, yes, they did not have the financial worries that many people do, but they still had cancer, troubled children, um, marital problems and stress. All the things that make life really hard and also really valuable, they struggled with just like anybody else. Money's not the answer. It, it, as Zig Ziglar said, it's not the most important thing in the world, but it does rank up there pretty close to oxygen, which I always thought was funny. But money can't save a hurting child, a struggling child. Money cannot guarantee you that you're going to be taken care of in your old age. It cannot keep sickness and disease at bay. Money just isn't what we think it is. Money is a horrible and a fear-mongering god is what it is. And so that's why the Bible talks about don't love your money, rather trust God. God's saying, listen, your money isn't your security. I am. That's God speaking. I'm your security. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I'll always be with you. Be content with what you have. That's what God teaches about the idea of money. It represents a lot of things, but it is not and will not be what you want it to be. And so if we're going to move into fear and we're going to overcome that through love, let's tap real quick into 1 John 4. Love has no fear. Love has no fear. Love has no fear. Phew. If you just stopped and thought on that one phrase for a minute and you started looking at the relationships, the categories, the areas of your life and started thinking, okay, in my marriage, we are loaded with fear right now. In my parenting, we're loaded with fear. At my job, we're loaded with fear. Uh, Everywhere I go, everywhere you see fear, you're seeing an absence of love, not a presence of fear. Fear is an earthly atmosphere. Love is a light that drives it out. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We love each other because He first loved us. The answer is not money. The answer is not more. The answer is the greatest treasure that you could ever find. The answer is a God who loves you and cares about you. Have you ever read that passage or heard that text in Hebrews 10, 31 that says, Our God is a consuming fire. You see, that's what it is to be a Christian. It's about having your life consumed by who God is, by God's love for you. Our greatest struggle in life is not that, is not that we... we uh, <laughs> Where was I going with that? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, our greatest struggle in life is, is not that we don't have enough. It's that we don't turn to the true source. We don't, we're too easily satisfied with garbage. We think money's going to accomplish something. We think uh, more possessions will. We think more relationships will. We think more people in our lives. Whatever, more popularity, more fame, more likes, whatever. We always want more, 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 because we never encounter the one who truly satisfies. How do we do that? You can't go get it. You can only receive it. Uh, when I was a young man, we had uh, FM radios in our cars. We had cassette players too, if you ever wonder what that is. My dad had an eight track, he was pretty fancy. Back then, the whole album had to be good because you, you couldn't just pick a song, you had to hear the whole thing. But anyway, so. I can't remember the name of the radio station. Kiss something was the name of the radio station. KSS. I listened to it all the time. It played all the 80s rock hits that I loved. But you had to tune in. Now, as I was getting to be an older teenager, they had those really smart radios, you know, you hit a button and it would scan. But that was for the rich kids. They had TransAms and stuff. I had a Mustang too, the one that looked like a Pinto that'd been run over by. I didn't I didn't have, I barely had FM. I mainly had AM, which is even harder. But anyway, so but the radio station was there. It was always broadcasting, man. KISS FM was always broadcasting. And, but you had to tune it in. You didn't go get the music. You received it. God's always broadcasting. He's always loving you. His heart and his mind are always set on you, even as if you're the only person on the planet. They're that focused and intent upon you. They're always set on you. And, And you're walking around thinking God doesn't love you, and the problem isn't that God doesn't love you. The problem is you're not tuned in. So tune in. Use 2023 to learn to be loved and to give love. Because the easiest way to love your church friends, to love the weirdos, to love the strangers, to love your spouse, is to be loved by your Father. If you are brimming and filled with love from your Father God, it's a lot easier to love the people that are around you. So that's how you live 2023 with Courage. That's how you push out the fear. You can't just stop being afraid. Ask anyone who struggles with anxiety. You can't just stop. That's what people tell you. Well, just stop thinking about it. Shut up. (laughs) You don't push out fear by trying not to be afraid. You push out fear by receiving and giving love. That's how you live in courage. That's how you live in courage. So I hope 2023 is a great year. I'm excited because it's an odd year, and I'm kind of odd, so I think it's going to work for me. And I just want you to live this year with courage and less fear. Father, thanks for letting me share these humble words. Thank you for these folks who came today, and I pray that you would get them started on an amazing new year. I pray, Lord, for more love and less fear. I pray for amazing marriages and not sickly ones. I pray for great relationships that are filled with the presence and love of God. I pray, Lord, that you would help me and all of us to love the weirdos and the strangers, the ones that are hard to love and that we don't understand. I pray that you'd help me to do a great job being a husband this year. And I pray, Lord, that you empower us all to be a receiver of God's amazing incalculable, radical love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.